0: Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. All right, so now we are going to jump into the Word of God for today. Today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. We're going to cover the first 10 verses, and that is going to be the last time we hear from the book of Acts for the remainder of this year, because next week we begin our Advent season together as a church family. And so before we jump into Acts 19, let me just briefly summarize what happened last week at the end of Acts 18. Priscilla and Aquila, a young couple who had been traveling with the Apostle Paul, were in a local synagogue, and they heard a man named Apollos, an eloquent man who had come up from the city of Alexandria, Egypt, to preach the gospel. He was passionate about Jesus, but he was missing something in his theology concerning baptism. So Priscilla and Aquila invited him into their home, or took him aside, and they better explained the way of God to him more accurately. Apollos received the the sound doctrine, sound theology, was excited about that, and then was sent on his way to continue preaching the gospel. From there, he went across the sea back to uh, Corinth, and that's where we pick up today in Acts 19 with Paul in the city of Ephesus. So here we go. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse one, it says this. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Okay, so quickly about the city of Ephesus. This is where Paul is going to be spending the majority of the rest of his life. Really, he's going to be spending time here in this city on his third missionary journey. Instead of traveling from city to city, he's spending a lot of his time strategically in this very special strategic location. Ephesus is in the country of Turkey and it's located on the coast. And so it was a it was a, a very important city. It was probably the most third most important city in the known world at the time next to obviously Rome and Alexandria, then you have Ephesus. This was a diverse city. It was a city with multiple religions. Pluralism was everywhere. And it was, like he said, it's strategically located. For sea travel, people can come in from all over the world and buy and sell and trade. And as they come in, Paul is there to bring them into the city and he wants to preach the good news of Jesus to them, see them become followers of Jesus, and then they take the gospel wherever they're headed next. It's also located with several uh, roadways and trade routes also funneled into the city as well. And so Paul saw this as a strategic spot to post up, to camp out, knowing that some people are going to live in the city, live, raise their family and die in that city, and that's where they're going to call home forever. And then there are also thousands and thousands of other people that are going to come in for a short period of time. They're going to do their work and then they're going to carry on their lives wherever they're headed next. Seattle in many ways is much like this, a port city, an educated city, a diverse city, a city with many different ideas and philosophies and theologies and religions and all the rest going on here. And so this is a strategic place for us to be for such a time as this, to preach Jesus, to make disciples and call people to be faithfully present to God, self, and one another. And so when people end up leaving Seattle due to work or some other family circumstance or whatever our hope is to see them go off not just be, well we made a decision to move somewhere else but to go no 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 if you're moving somewhere else, you're taking Jesus and the good news of the gospel with you. So Paul is in a city much like ours and it says he came to that city and he found some disciples. now this is a curious passage we're about to f- read because disciples of who and what? Paul has this conversation. Listen to what it says in verse 2. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, you've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Okay, so they're having a conversation. They're talking Bible and history and theology and, and what they believe in. What are they building their lives on? What are they, what is their faith? Committed to, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Apparently, Jesus wasn't being mentioned very much in their conversation. The Holy Spirit wasn't mentioned at all in their conversation. So Paul goes, Whoa, what are you, what's going on here? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We've not even heard of the third person of the Trinity. And so you go, Oh, what's going on here? Who are they disciples of? Well, listen to what's going on. Watch the next verse. And he said, into what then were you baptized? So apparently they had been baptized. And so this is common language that Paul uses in Romans in Corinthians and Galatians. Into what then were you baptized? You went through a baptism ritual of some kind, What did that mean? What was that symbolic of? What did that represent to you? What were you doing in that moment? What were you saying about God and yourself and the world and all that? What does does baptism say? What is it? Into what were you baptized? Great question. You know, Martin Luther, he said, every time you wash your face, remember your baptism. Into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism." So they're, they're talking about John the baptizer. This is AD 52, 54. So John has been off the scene for over 20 years and they're saying, end of John's baptism. We heard that, that there was a prophet down in Israel preaching repentance of sin and baptism and all that. And so that's what we're doing, we're, we're, we're repenting of sin. And then Paul says, okay, right, verse four, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, meaning to forsake your old life. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And so they knew the part about repentance of sin, but they hadn't heard all of it, or at least hadn't teased out all the theology and all the things that John was talking about. He said, John came on the scene as the forerunner to the Messiah. John came on the scene as the one preparing the way of the Lord. Remember, John is like a bulldozer. He shows up, says flatten all the mountains, make a big, wide, sma- sm- uh, wide, smooth path for the Lord. Fill up all the cracks and all the valleys. Make way for the Lord. Jesus, I'm I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandal straps. I, I'm preparing the way of the Lord, and when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so he's saying, Let me tell you about Jesus that John prepared the way for Jesus and He came. So God sent His Son, God sent His Messiah, God sent hope and redemption into the world as his son, the Lord Jesus. So when Jesus came on the scene, demons had to go. When Jesus touched sick people, sickness was healed. Jesus came on the scene and spoke truth to power. Jesus came on the scene and forgave sinners and reconciled them to God and gave people who were in grievous sin, he gave them their dignity back and called them his own. Jesus came on the scene and befriended the sinners. And when Jesus went to his cross on Good Friday, it's not because it was by happenstance, but Jesus was doing something there too, that God didn't just abandon Jesus to the world. But when Jesus died, he died in our place for our sins so that we would become the righteousness of God. And that as we read earlier in the creed, he died, was buried, descended into hell, and on the third day was resurrected from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he has sent the Holy Spirit into the hearts of all who will receive him by faith. And so, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. On hearing this, they go, amazing. (laughs) Thank you for preaching the good news to us, Paul. And so they are baptized then and there. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began uh, speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. And so they received the Holy Spirit. When Paul lays his hands on them, they begin to prophesy. They begin to speak in tongues as the uh, early church did, speaking in other languages, as there's audible evidence given to the indwelling Holy Spirit in the life of these new Christians. So there's about 12 men in all. Verse 8, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of of God, So he goes to the synagogue, as is his tradition. You know, he goes to the Jews first, always. And he goes in and he speaks boldly. He speaks with confidence. He speaks in a way that he's in a fearless manner. I'm going to boldly preach Jesus. What he says to the Corinthians is, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. <laughs> and throw a funeral dirge if I don't. Preach the good news of Jesus. And so he goes and he's bold and he's reasoning with people and persuading people that he's using reason and rationale and logic and that he's using his apologetics and he's using the scriptures and he's doing good theology and he's appealing to the people, to the mind and the heart and the will of, of the people. He's he's appealing to reality and he's reasoning with them, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning in the hall daily, in the hall of Tyrannus. Okay, so as he's preaching, some begin to grow hostile with Paul in the message of the gospel, and so they begin to speak evil of the way. And this is the way uh, that the early Christians, that's what they called our faith, that it was (laughs) we were called followers of the way. And of course, that comes from Jesus' famous saying in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the exclusive savior of the world. Jesus says, I am the way. And so, or I am the way, the road, the path, the journey. I'm the way. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are a follower of the way, the route, the path to God is in the person of Jesus. And they began to speak evil of the way. Going, ah, there's another way. Or your way is defunct. Your way is broken. Your way in Jesus, there's a roadblock and it doesn't work. He doesn't lead people to God. They began to speak evil of the way in the synagogue. And so Paul withdrew from them, took the disciples who had followed Jesus, who were believers and obedient to Jesus. And he goes not to a local house church, which he could have done, but rather he goes to the Hall of Tyrannus. And this call was a public debate lecture hall. If you've ever had the privilege of going to London, England and going to Hyde Park there, there's a, a corner there that you, some of you may know of called Speaker's Corner. Jana and I used to live in London, and we would go often. In fact, we'd go every Sunday afternoon and grab our, our, uh, our coffee from, from, from Pret, and walk over and listen to all kinds of debates from atheists, from Muslims, from Jews, from Christians, to agnostics, local philosophy students and all the rest talking and exchanging ideas. And it was a fabulous place to go and listen and learn and share the gospel. Paul goes to a place like that, a marketplace of ideas, that he goes and he begins to teach daily in this particular lecture hall, like a philosopher would. But he's not doing just philosophy for philosophy's sake. Sure, he's using lots and lots of reason and well rational you know, a lot of well, hmm, I don't even know how to, well reasoned arguments for the gospel. And he's leaning into philosophy, but he's not stopping short of talking about God as a whole. He's talking about the person and the work of Jesus and the message of the gospel. And so he goes to a place like this. When we see this example, this this lays out an example for what we ought to be doing as followers of Jesus is to remember that the good news of the gospel is not only for inside the church, but it's for outside the church. And I know you hear that all the time, but this is where we get that example is that it's a this is an example of what it means to be faithfully present to those outside the church to show up daily. Look at what it says. Reasoning daily with them in the hall. This continued for two years. Every day, Paul is showing up and and listening to people's stories, listening to their arguments, listening to their perspectives, grappling with the questions of the day, thinking about sexuality, thinking about politics, thinking about commerce, thinking about government, thinking about business. He's listening to people's ideas plans, stories, and he reasons with people there too, daily. And not only is he a listener, but he comes back with answers going, oh, God has something to say about this. God has something to say about that. God has a will here and God has a will here. And he's working with them daily. You see, when it comes to faithful gospel ministry, this is a beautiful example of showing up and listening, being willing to engage, to read their books, to listen to their arguments, to see what they have to say and go, okay, I wanna hear what you have to say, I wanna study and I wanna show myself approved and I wanna show back up and give good reasoned responses from the word of God. So I wanna encourage our church for just a moment. Some of you are in conversations regularly with your unbelieving friends. And they are not so responsive to Jesus and the gospel. They're not really, really excited about it. In fact, they're kind of antagonistic toward it. But I want to encourage you to keep showing up daily. (laughs) Keep showing up. Keep listening. Stay in the process with them. Look at what happens. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So, Paul is now in a position where everyone is now hearing the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. It's getting out. The good news is getting out. This is also the time in Paul's life when he writes the letter. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, he sends this at this time. And when he sends the letter of 1 Corinthians, go read it. At the end of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, first time, he he begins to say something uh, to the effect of uh, he lets them in on the Lord has opened a door for, a wide door for effective ministry here everyone's hearing about Jesus and the gospel. Even when I got run out of the synagogue, fine. I went down the street and he lets them know everyone's hearing the good news of the gospel. That he opened, a God has opened a wide door for effective work. Church, here's what I wanna encourage you in right now. Would you pray that God would continue to open a wide door for effective work here in our city so that others might come to know Jesus? In fact, maybe that might be what's happening right now. We all are shut in. We have a stay at home, close your door order going on. We can't come together physically, but maybe even now through our online presence, there is an open door. A wider door might be open right now for effective work. Would it, wouldn't that be something like God to to, eat, to work through circumstances as difficult and as frustrating as, as, as this year has been? I think so. Who could you be inviting to, to hear the good news of Jesus by simply texting a link, sitting in emails saying, hey, come join us. I want you to hear about Jesus. I want you to hear about the gospel. I want you to hear about the God who loves you. I want you to hear about the God who sent his only son into the world to take away your sin, to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, to be reconciled to him, that you might live a life of fullness in Christ. This is an opportunity right now that we have set before us. And so as we go into the Christmas season, through Advent, think through the open door that stands before us right now for effective work so that others might come to know the God who is love. Thank you for listening. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.